Hello, and welcome to the 13 Corpses Podcast, in association with the Arrow at Southeast Missouri State University. My name is Brian Day. I'm one of the creators and producers of this podcast, and I'd like to thank all of you for your continued support during our first season. To all of you who sent in submissions this season, we can't thank you enough and hope to read more from you in the future. Be sure to keep up with us on our website, 13corpses.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to see what we have in store for you next. This season wouldn't have been possible without the help of so many people. I can never name them all, but I do want to send a special thank you to Jen Oden, Dr. Tamara Buck, Sandra Newsom, Michael King, and everyone who contributed to the voice work that made this season possible. Now, without further ado, 13 Corpses presents the podcast recorded by Michael Evans, Kristen Enderly, Christy Mershon, and recorded, written, and produced by Brian Day. This is the final chapter of The Call. I wonder what's next. I wonder what's next. I knew better than to read a scary book like this while I was up here at my parents' cabin all by myself. Especially considering the guy who wrote the book was the cabin's previous owner. And he went crazy here. But that's also part of the reason I read it. And the reason I'm here. I'm sick of being scared. I could have waited until tomorrow and came up with my boyfriend and our other friends, but I needed a night here alone. As it turned out, the night was the perfect cliché. It was raining like hell and the thunder clapped at all the opportune moments. I'm 19 now and beginning my sophomore year of college. I'm not that scared little girl anymore who needs her mom to check the closets before going to bed. When I was a kid... My parents owned a different cabin. We would go there for weekend getaways, and I always hated it. It was so secluded, and I couldn't shake the fear of what we would do if something bad should happen. We had no phone, no internet, and cell phones were useless. I would dream up these wild scenarios. I mean, I had imagination. Anything from demons to backwoods cannibals and the worst. I'd dream my dad would go mad. I had this vision of him chasing my mom and me with an axe. I still have that nightmare sometimes. When I would offer my concerns, my dad would always say, Sydney, if something happens, I'm here and I'll take care of it. Fortunately, he never had to prove that he could protect me. I was relieved they sold the cabin when I was in my early teens. But a few years later, they bought this place. They got it super cheap because, as I mentioned, the guy who lived here was a writer and apparently he killed his best friend or something. I made it a point to never hear the entire story. I didn't want to know what happened. Still, I liked it for some reason. It wasn't much different than the cabin we had when I was a kid, though. Maybe I was just older, and I could envision having a group of friends up for the weekend, which is exactly what I was doing now. This was my first trip up without my parents. And, like I said, I could have waited until tomorrow to come up with friends, But I just felt I had to face my fear. And more than that, I had to conquer it. I'd been here nearly four hours, and so far, so good. My plan was to be early to bed and early to rise, so I was ready when everyone got here in the morning. With my book finished, I let my mind wander. That was a dangerous proposition, especially considering where I was. But I managed to push all the monsters away, and at least for the moment, keep my thoughts in a safe place. 
Little did I know, my thoughts would be the least of my concern. The crash was sudden and fierce, but between the seatbelt and the airbag, I was okay. As for Michelle, the impact sent her face first into the steering wheel and left her unconscious. I pushed the airbag out of my face and grabbed the keys from the ignition before I jumped out. The cold rain felt good coming down on my burning soul. I had to finish this before her PI could get to us. I could see his lights down the road. He was close and I didn't have long. Michelle hadn't asked what I was doing out in the barn earlier. She also had noticed I packed up my essentials into the trunk. I was ready to make my getaway. I just wasn't ready for her to be the driver. Among the things I packed in the trunk was my knife and T-13 gear, along with a few other items I thought might be useful. I may not want to be that man anymore, but one more time, I needed to summon the monster. It was only fitting I wear the mask and use the knife to finish her off. I walked back to the trunk and found I was a little more jelly-legged than I expected. My mind must have been off too. I didn't realize Nick had already arrived. He pulled right up to me, his headlights blinding me. If he had a gun right now, I was a sitting duck. I heard his truck door open, but I still couldn't see him. Get on the ground! Michelle, where are you? No, man, she's dead. She's dead. I killed her right before you got here. Bullshit! Where'd you use the killer? I don't see a knife or anything. I used my bare hands. I strangled her to death. I still couldn't see him, but his silence meant he was at least considering my story. I had to convince him. Look, Nick. It, it is Nick, right? You can get out of this completely, man. Nobody knows you're here, and I'm sure Michelle didn't leave any type of records of payment. All you have to do is let me in that truck with you and drive us both the hell out of here. You walk free, and I'll disappear. Maybe you're right, but I don't see why I have to take you. Good riddance to both you psychos. I couldn't let him get away. In the end, he knew too much. And I was stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. I was miles from any type of civilization. Nick was my only escape from all this. This was going to hurt. As he drove the truck past me, I grabbed the side rails and propelled myself over the edge into the bed of the truck. I didn't know if he saw me at first, but it didn't take long to realize he was fully aware I was tagging along. The first gunshot smashed through the back glass, and I swear I could hear it whistle past my ear. I ducked down and crawled into the cab. Another shot rang out. This time the entire back glass exploded and fell on top of me. I was in serious trouble. I had to think. I had to become T-13. Next to my foot in the bed of the truck was a long shard of jagged glass. Considering the situation, it was all I could ask for. I grabbed the glass and split my hand open in the process. Two more shots, still I waited. I had to time this perfectly. He had to turn his attention from the road to fire the gun. That also meant he had to turn back as soon as he fired. That was my window. I rose up fast and swung the knife sidearm through the now empty back glass. I got lucky and hit Nick dead in the side of the neck. I twisted it until the glass shattered, again cutting my hand, but the damage it did to Nick was far more substantial. I jammed the leg through the opening and pulled myself into the cab. Thankfully, Nick's foot had slid off the accelerator and we were slowing down. I steered the truck until it stopped. I looked at Nick to make sure he was dead. His eyes were gone. Now there was only a death stare was a look I recognized all too well. 
I reached over to what was now Nick's body and opened the driver's side door. I used my shoulder to push him out onto the ground. Now I had a decision to make. Do I just drive away and vanish? Or do I finish what I started? I knew the answer before I could complete the question in my mind. Michelle had to die. I'm, I'm not sure how I got out of the car. But there I was, standing in the road, looking at it. I guess I instinctively got out before I'd regained my wits. I played back what happened in my mind. Shane had grabbed the wheel and steered it off the road. It crashed into the far side of the ditch that ran beside the road. We were going fast enough that the front end of the car was now buried in the wet earth. Ooh, I was bleeding. I had a nasty cut above my right eye. The rain kept the blood washed away, but when I touched it, it screamed at me with burning pain. The question I should be asking finally occurred to me. Where the hell was Shane? I needed to think. Think. My life was in genuine danger. I wanted Shane to become the man he was when I met him, and I'd accomplished that goal with more precision than I intended. Shane was T-13 again, and just like when we met, he was trying to kill me. The best I could hope was to find him still unconscious in the car. If he was there, I could find a rock or a tree limb and put an end to all of this. I walked down into the ditch. The water rose above my ankles as I sunk into the ground. I looked in the front seat of the car. He was gone. I looked up and down the road and wondered where the hell my P.I. Nick was. I'd paid him a lot to follow us and make sure I had some backup when the situation got out of hand. I thought he was behind us. Maybe it wasn't him. Or worse. Maybe Shane had him already. Either way, I was on my own. I looked around and tried to figure out what to do next. It was raining so hard that at first I hadn't seen the light. It had to be a hundred yards or so up the road. It was so dim in the darkness. I mean, if you weren't looking, you would never see it. It had to be a cabin, and I think it's my only refuge. I trudged through the rain and mud to the house. When I got there, I saw a small SUV parked in front. It had a university bumper sticker and personalized plates that read, Sydney. Without looking directly up to make eye contact, I saw a young girl peer out through the curtains. This, this would work. I didn't know who the woman was, but all my childhood fears and nightmares came rushing straight to front and center of my mind. It always started with a stranger coming in on a stormy night. Stop it, Sid. You're better than this. She's probably just having a really rough night. Got lost, having car trouble, something. Shit. Now what do I do? I mean, I can't just leave her outside. Can I? No, I I really couldn't. She's probably not a monster. She's just a woman, and she probably just needs help. I may be here to conquer my fear, but that didn't mean I have to be stupid. I took the mace off my keychain and palmed it as I went to the door. The cabin itself was rustic and old, but the front door was new and looked a little bit out of place. It was thick wood and would take a lot of force to get through. I was safe right now, but the moment I opened that door, I would be exposed to whatever lurked outside. Face your fear, Sid. 
Do not let fear control you. I'm so sorry to bother you, but I had a wreck and I need some help. She was normal looking enough. Maybe a little worse for wear, but a wreck would explain that. Of course. What can I do? We don't have a phone here and there's no cell service. I just need to get dry. And I need to get my head on straight for a second. Can I come inside? Before I could answer, she was already pushing her way through the front door. She didn't exactly move me out of the way, but she gave the impression that she was coming inside one way or another. Once she got in, she looked back out and closed the door. She inspected the lock before putting it to use. I stepped back and spun my mace around in my fingers to get in position, just in case I needed to act quickly. Are you okay? What happened? Um, yeah. I cracked my head pretty good, though. Do you have a first aid kit or anything? Sure. In the bathroom. I'll show you. I led her to the bathroom and took the first aid kit from the medicine cabinet. She looked through it, but didn't seem interested. She checked her head in the mirror. There was a pretty good gash, but it wasn't bleeding anymore, at least. She grabbed the alcohol from the kit and used a cotton ball to clean her wound. Thunderclapped, and the woman nearly jumped out of her skin. Something just wasn't right. I mean, I get it. If she were just in an accident, she was sure to be rattled. But this seemed like more. She was afraid of something, or someone. If she was in danger, that meant I was too. What's going on? You seem pretty shaken. Was there anyone else in the car with you? Are they okay? She turned and looked me up and down. I had the feeling she was sizing me up. All in all, we were about the same size and even favored one another. She was about ten years older than me. In her eyes, there was something off with them. Hmm. What's your name? Sydney. What's yours? Do you have anything to drink around here, Sydney? I can make some Booze. Do you have any booze? Uh, yeah. There's beer in the fridge and a couple of other bottles in the cabinet. I think there might even be some vodka. Show me. I was a little uncomfortable with her telling me what to do, but I didn't protest. She followed me to the kitchen, and I took the two bottles my parents had in the cabinet and sat them out on the counter for her. She inspected them before taking the top of the vodka off and drinking straight from the bottle. Is that someone here? Is there somebody else here? Are you expecting somebody? What is going on? Something's wrong, I can tell. Did I lock the front door? She hurried back to the door and double-checked the locks before turning back to me. Look, I'm in a little trouble here, Sydney. Okay. Tell me what's going on. We can take my car and get you to the hospital or go to the police or whatever we need to do. I'm afraid that it's not that simple. My boyfriend and I had a wreck. I'm not sure where he's at. Oh, no. Are you afraid he's hurt? Not exactly. (laughs) He's the reason we had the wreck. Was he drunk or something? No. He grabbed the wheel and yanked us off the road. Why would he do that? Because he's trying to kill me. I got back to the scene of the wreck within a couple of minutes. Whatever I was going to do, I needed to do it quickly. It was late and we were in the middle of nowhere, but eventually someone would come along and discover Nick's body in this wrecked car. My heart skipped a beat when I saw the driver's door. Michelle's door was open. I parked the truck and hurried to see if she was there. She was not. (laughs) Now what? If I'd been smart or sane, I would have gotten back in the truck, went and moved Nick's body off the road and drove as far as I could, as fast as I could, away from the joke that had become my life. But apparently, I'm neither smart or sane. Instead, I retrieved my goodies from the trunk. 
I had my T-13 gear along with another smaller knife and for some reason I'd taken an axe that was in the shop. I put the mask in my back pocket and strapped the sheath of the hunting knife onto my hip. I tucked the smaller knife behind my belt at my back. As for the axe, I don't know why, but something told me to bring it along, even if I wasn't sure where I was going yet. My destination, and I assumed Michelle's, revealed itself to me as soon as I stepped back from the trunk. There was a cabin off in the distance. If Michelle was stable enough to see it, that's where she would have went. This was my best chance. I decided right then, if she wasn't there, that I'd just leave. I'd plan on seeing her in hell. It wasn't far, but I didn't want to walk any further than necessary. With that in mind, I got back in the truck and proceeded toward the house. I left the headlights off so not to announce I was coming. It was so dark, I nearly drove off the small dirt road multiple times. Once I was close enough, I killed the motor and coasted to a stop. I got out, but left the door open. Chances were, if she was inside, she was expecting me and would be ready for me. I didn't have the element of surprise, and worse, I didn't know if she was in there alone. If I had to, I'd kill anyone in the house, but but I didn't want it to come to that. This was between Michelle and me, and there had already been enough collateral damage. I saw an SUV parked out front, and it gave me pause. I mean, if Michelle were there, why wouldn't she just kill whoever was inside, take the vehicle, and make a run for it? Then the answer came to me. She was of the same mindset as me. She knew this wouldn't be over until one of us was dead. Why would she run? when she had the clear advantage. I approached the house slowly and kept my eyes on both windows that faced forward. I didn't see any movement at first. I was about 30 feet from the front door when I saw the curtains shift. Someone was inside and they were about to meet T-13. The woman, who still hadn't given me her name, Rude, had been at the window for the last few minutes. She was clearly terrified but part of me thought I should be as afraid of her as whoever she was determined was lurking outside. I was fighting hard not to revert back into that little girl who was afraid every time the wind gusted. Part of me wanted to cry out for my dad, but of course he was hundreds of miles away. The other part of me just wanted to run out the front door and the driveway as fast as I could. The part of me that I listened to told me to stay the course. Either I was blowing this completely out of proportion or there was some crazy man outside And he couldn't get in, and we would be safe here until morning when my friends were due to arrive. Sydney, I'm going to need you to trust me here. Her statement came out of nowhere and snapped me back to reality. What do you mean? I mean that I think Shane's outside. And if he is, that means he's coming in this house, and there is not a damn thing that we can do to stop him. So what do we do? Okay, here's the plan. The front door is heavy, and it's going to take some work to get through it. His only other way in is through a window, which we'll hear, so he can't sneak up on us. We're going to know when he's here. Okay. I had no idea where she was going with this. I was scared, but it was a different type of fear than I'd ever felt. Normally, fear made me want to cower in the corner and pray for help. The fear I felt now was more self-preservation than helplessness. Maybe there was more to it than that, even. I wasn't just afraid. I was mad. I was mad that I'd spent my entire life being afraid. I felt my spine straighten and I stood up tall. Whatever was about to happen, I planned to face it head on. Hey, are you listening to me? What? Yeah, what do you want me to do? Grab the other side of the couch and help me move it. I thought we were going to put it in front of the door, but all we did was spin it around so it faced away from the door. I had no idea what she was doing. Is there a gun here or any type of weapon at all? 
I don't think so. Uh, how about a kitchen knife? She headed for the kitchen before I could answer. I heard her going through drawers and cabinets. She returned to the living room empty-handed. There's nothing in this house, not even silverware. How do you eat or cook or anything? She looked around the house but found nothing. Eventually, she picked up the hardcover book I'd been reading. She turned it sideways and slapped the spine into her palm a couple of times. I don't know why I said what I said next. It just escaped my mouth before my brain could block it. I have mace. Are you serious? Why the hell didn't you say so? Where? I held out my hand and she snatched it away. Hmm. This? This will work. I just need to stun him long enough to... To what? Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down on the couch. Here. Uh, No, better yet. Lay down like you're sleeping. What's that going to accomplish? When he comes in, he's going to see you there and think that you're me. And why would I want to do that if he wants to kill you? I won't let him get you. Don't freak out. I'll hide in the other room, and once he's focused on you, I'll mace him and hit him with the book. It should put him down. How are you so sure that he'll think I'm you? Trust me. I'm speaking from experience here. Okay. Well, how do I know that you'll come and save me? I mean, why don't you sit on the couch and I'll come and save you? Have you ever killed anyone, Sydney? No. Well, I have. And I know how to do what needs to be done here. Who knows if you have what it takes? And I bet you don't want to find out either. I'd walked around the house twice, and the only ways in were through the front door and the windows. The house was small, so there was no way I was getting in without being heard and seen. My only real concern was how many people were there, and whether or not one of them might have a gun. I mean, after all, this was hunting territory, so a rifle, shotgun, none of that was out of the question. That gave me the idea of busting out a window and then sitting back and waiting to see if there were gunshots to follow. Damn it, now I wish I'd gone back and gotten Nick's gun, but it was too late for that. I tried to think about what Michelle would be expecting and realized she would think like me. She'd be expecting me to come through a window. With that in mind, I was glad I brought the axe. I walked around the front of the house and took a few deep breaths and harnessed all my strength. I was coming right through the front door. I figured it would take a few whacks, but might also disorient her enough to buy me a minute or two. I took my mask from my back pocket and put it on. I needed whatever strength it would provide. Within the next few moments, this chapter of my life would end. Whether it was the final chapter or not was still to be determined. I breathed deep, readied the axe, and... The initial thud of whatever Shane was using on the front door made me jump. He was back. This was my Shane. It turned out his desire to kill me was the only thing that could bring him back. I'd miss him. But he had his chance with me. I was hiding in the front room to the side of the door. If he were to look in there first, I'd be discovered and have to hope I could use the mace before he could get to me. But if I knew him, he'd see the girl's head from behind and his need to kill me would take over. He must have hit the door 15 or 20 times before it split. I looked around the corner and saw Sydney was doing just like I told her. Good girl. Though I doubted her resolve to stay where she was. That meant that as soon as Shane dialed in on her, I'd have to move quickly. 
I looked back to the door and saw the red blade of an axe crush through the door, sending a large chunk of wood flying across the room. He reached inside and unlocked the door. I held fast despite my instinct to pounce on him now. He pushed the door open but didn't enter. I was reminded of the first time he entered my kitchen. He did the same thing then. His predictability was the reason I always managed to keep the upper hand. I just hoped I had one more stroke of good fortune left. When he walked past the room I was in, I knew I had him. Sydney showed more guts than I ever thought the girl could. Oh, Sydney. Shane marched right up to her and reared back the axe. She still wasn't moving. I decided to let him take her out. I mean, I couldn't let her live anyway. I rolled out of the way just in time as the blade of the axe pierced the couch exactly where my head had been a fraction of a second earlier. I spun around on the ground to see a man who was now bringing all of my childhood fears to reality. He was wearing a black mask, but I could see his eyes. He was looking at me, but not with anger. He closed his eyes as I saw the woman approaching quickly from behind. He knew she was coming. She swung the book and hit him in the ear with a spine. It sent him sprawling to the ground. He hopped up fast, but not fast enough. She was waiting with the mace. He managed to get his hands up and block most of the liquid from hitting dead on. But it was enough. He took a huge knife from a sheath and began to swing it wildly. The woman danced around until she could get close enough and tripped him. He stumbled and she used the book again to knock the knife away. It barely hit the floor before she picked it up. The man may not have been able to see, but again, it was like he knew what she was going to do next. She stabbed the man in the stomach and twisted the knife. Blood poured to the floor and began to puddle as he backed up against the wall and slid down to a seated position. She still had control of the knife and continued to twist. The man didn't make a sound. It was as if he realized this was the fate he deserved. Finally, she let go of the knife and pulled his mask off. I can't see you. She didn't reply, but went to the kitchen and I heard the faucet. She returned with a glass of water and threw it in his face. The man turned and looked at me for a moment, but before he could say anything, the woman spoke. Well, I guess we see how it plays out. Michelle, I... You know I hate that name, right? You you never told me that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot you don't know about who you think I am. I do know it should be you here beside me. Both of us should be dying on the floor. (laughs) Oh, hell no. I'm just learning how to have fun. I'm just sorry you went all soft, gooey. Disgusting. It broke my heart to see you turn into such a pathetic wuss. Well, no, no worries now, huh? I'll see you in hell. The man reached down and violently pulled the knife out. Blood gushed out, and the life left his eyes. He was gone. I looked up at the woman, and I don't know what I expected to see in her eyes, but all that was there was a blank stare. She stared at the man for a moment longer, and then turned her attention to me. Thankfully, she'd been too busy to realize what I had done. 
I thought I'd be sad to see Shane die. But I wasn't. I felt nothing anymore. For him or for anyone else. I turned back and, to my surprise, Sydney had picked up the mace. I didn't even realize I'd dropped it. It must have been when I picked the knife up. She had me dead to rights and didn't hesitate. She hit me with a full shot of mace right in the face. I went blind, and it felt like my sinus exploded. I was at her mercy. I had to get control enough to talk to her. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Listen. I was never going to hurt you. I knew he wouldn't either. I knew he'd realize it wasn't me and stop. He didn't realize it. The only reason I don't have an axe stuck in my head is because I realized you were lying and wanted him to kill me so I was out of your way. I couldn't see her and had no idea where she was, but I had to keep talking till I could get my vision and my breath back enough to deal with her. We can spin this. You're going to be famous. Isn't that what everybody wants these days? That man's name is Shane Tolliver. He's a serial killer called T-13, and all you have to do is say he broke in on you and you killed him. You'll be a hero. If he's a serial killer, what does that make you? I'm just a nobody. I got caught up with a bad guy. It happens all the time. So you think I should just let you go and tell the cops I killed him? Exactly. You'll be famous. It'll be your 15 minutes. I want more than 15 minutes. And if I'm the only survivor, I'll have a story to tell for the rest of my life. You'll still be the only survivor if you let me leave. Yeah, but you know how it goes. The more bodies, the more fame. I felt the force of the axe right between my shoulder blades. I didn't have long. The last thing I heard was, That's for killing my friends. I realized what she meant, and knew at that moment, Shane and I had both finally met our match. Details are emerging on a tragic and grisly tale coming from middle America. Five people are dead, including three college students and the wanted murderer Shane Tolliver and Michelle Tyler. While details are still unclear, it appears the couple broke into a cabin to find two young couples there for a weekend retreat. They killed everyone except one young lady, Sydney Curtis, who killed the attackers and survived the incident. We'll have more on the story and hope to hear from the valiant young lady who fought a battle for her life and won, Sydney Curtis. We hope you enjoyed the final chapter of the call, and we appreciate all of you who listened and participated in our first season here at 13 Corpses. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, along with iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We won't be going silent until next fall, though. You'll still hear from us regularly with new episodes featuring all new stories throughout the year. We started this story this year, guys, and you ran with it, and thank you so much for all your support. Now, we'd like to thank our sponsors who've been so great to us. Dean King Roofing and Construction, serving Southeast Missouri for over 55 years. Call Dean King Roofing, the printing company, more than ink on paper. Visit them online at theprintingco.biz. MDK Designs, 
your vision, our quest. You can find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash mdkdesigns. Cannon Cove Studios. You can find out more about them at their website, cannoncovestudios.com. And Southeast Missouri State University Department of Continuing Education. For all things creepy, check out their historic haunted ghost tours. You can find out more at cmo.edu. There, just search Continuing Education. You can also find them on Facebook at Cape Girardeau Haunted Ghost Tours Fans. A special thank you to Kip Brockett for the use of his song, The Haunt, as a 13 Corpses theme.